Eagles Entertainment. Welcome, Eagles everywhere, to the Eagles Insider Podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group. I'm Eagles Insider Dave Spadaro, and finally, 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 we are at the point where we've got some action in the NFL. It's Monday, and the legal negotiation period, I know people call it the legal tampering period, but it's really the legal negotiation period, begins today, teams able to speak to agents of free agents-to-be, in the NFL. And while there's not permitted technically to have deals done, we know what happens. Wink, wink, handshake, this and that. It's a very important period of time. These days, leading into Wednesday at 4 p.m., when the NFL's 2021 business year begins, critical, critical days. And the Eagles have been doing some work here. They've been trying to get down to that $182.5 million salary cap limit. Of course, they released Deshaun Jackson. They've reportedly restructured, boy, five or six deals with players to create cap space and move some of that money into the future to allow themselves to have some wiggle room in 2021. How significant will they be in free agency? We're going to find out in just a little bit here. I have a conversation with NFL insider Adam Kaplan about that. Um, but let's get you caught up on everything. The Eagles last week releasing defensive tackle Trayvon Hester and safety Blake Countess. Again, moves to help with the salary cap. Uh, Eagles pretty deep at defensive tackle with Javon Hargrave, with Fletcher Cox. Um, we will see what happens uh, beyond those two, but that's a pretty good starting place to have uh, with some talent right there. Um, Eagles do believe that they will be strong along the defensive line this season. Uh, obviously, Deshaun Jackson gone in, in the wide receiver position, likely without Alshon Jeffrey, young group. What will they do there? We might have a little preview for you in just a bit here. Um, in this podcast, we're also going to talk to uh, offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. Um, he comes over from the Chargers. He and Head coach Nick Sirianni have a relationship that extends back several years. So we'll hear from Shane about that relationship, his approach to offense, what works in the NFL, and what his approach will be with the Eagles as he addresses the offense in that room. The Eagles also awarded two compensatory draft picks last week. So they have a total of 10 selections. The NFL draft begins on April 29th. And this podcast begins with an episode that we are really excited about. Adam Kaplan from Series XM NFL Radio from the Inside the Birds podcast. He is in the know, not only with the Eagles, but with the rest of the NFL. What can we expect from the Eagles starting right now? Adam Kaplan, welcome. Good to hear from you. You've been quite busy in this offseason scooping everybody, um, particularly about the Philadelphia Eagles. So as we speak on this Thursday, ahead of Wednesday's start of the business year, we know the legal tampering period begins as well here. Uh, what can we expect from the Eagles? What kind of cap shape will they be in? How active will they be in free agency? Well, listen, Dave, they've got to still get to the, 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 the number of 182.5. We now know that that's the number that teams have to work off of. So they have work to do. Um, clearly, they're you know, over $20 million over. Um, so they've got some work to do, but they'll get it done. They have to do it. Um, you know, people have asked me for years, well, what happens if they, a team is over? Well, you can't be over. Let's put it that way. So they'll get there. Um, you know, As we speak, 
on Monday is when we have that open negotiating period. And you'd like to know if you're the Eagles where you stand with a cap at that point. So over the next four days, Dave, they've got a lot of work to do. So they'll get there. They'll get to 182.5. Yep. How much breathing room they have, we don't quite know yet. But, I mean, what do you think, Adam? Do you th- and it's it's been very, very quiet. Are the Eagles going to be players in free agency, major players as they've been in the past? Well, last year, Javon Hargrave was the big move, um, as you know. It uh, wasn't super busy for them in free agency. Other than that, uh, well, this one's a little play, bit. Dari- yeah, Dari- well, 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 yeah. Played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, they were gonna they were gonna sign. Uh, you know, they were gonna pursue. Uh, as I reported last year, Byron Jones. So they made the trade with Darius Slay. But what I would tell you with Darius Slay, Dave, is that they tried to trade for him um, the year before from Detroit. Uh, but I'm, ta- I'm, t- I'm talking in terms of of signings. Yeah, that Hargrave was the, was the one. And um, you know, typically the, their front office, particularly Harry Roseman, is really good at finding players. I, I don't know if they call them bargains, but in the secondary market, it might be the second week of free agency. They're pretty good at doing that, um, whether it's Rodney McLeod or some other players where uh, McLeod was, I wouldn't call him a bargain, but he obviously it turned out to be a terrific signing. Someone that you don't need to sign day one, two, or three that may go in the second week or to the first weekend of free agency. and that, that, to me, is kind of where I think the Eagles will be. It's interesting, Adam. You know, Jeffrey Lurie called it a transition period for the Eagles. Obviously, a new coaching staff. The reported, and that's all we can say right now about it, trade, of Carson Wentz, the release of Deshaun Jackson. Is this a, a rebuild of the roster, do you think? Is this, is this going to be overturning the roster kind of offseason? No. I, I think it. I like Jeffrey's word of transition period. I, I, I did agree with him that it's sort of like 2016, though obviously it's a little bit different now because you've got um, some older players going to still come back or some, some of them, but their contracts have been restructured. But the rest of the team's going to be young, and this is something that I've – preached on the show that I do with uh, Jeff Mosher called Inside the Birds. They've got to get younger, and the focus, I, I strongly believe, of this new coaching staff will be uh, of player development, and that to me has is, is got to be key. And I would also tell your listeners, Dave, that I really enjoyed your interviews with Nick Sirianni and some of the other assistant coaches, getting to know them, and it sure sounds like uh, player development will be certainly be important going forward. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon pretty much blew me away with how sharp he is and mm-hmm. i'm really excited to see what this defense does i mean in your in your senses we we'll, we'll get back into free agency for a moment but how different will gannon's defense be than what jim schwartz ran sounds to me feels to me like a bit more pressure packages he wants to be a bit more attacking and maybe take some chances yeah i i, I don't i don't believe you're going to see the wide nine anymore if you do it's going to be very little it's i think you're going to see ski, more more disguise. Schwartz was about four man pressure, and obviously it worked for him. Um, Eagles were, I think, either number two or number three in quarterback pressures last season, which is phenomenal. But the thing uh, that you know, the criticisms of Schwartz's defense around the league was, you like to see pre snap disguise and, and post snap disguise. You just didn't see a lot of that. So I do believe you'll see that, and I believe Gannon will bring a lot of what he learned from Mike Zimmer. Uh, it's hard to argue with Mike Zimmer's defenses over the years; have been largely phenomenal save last year when they were really beat up physically in the secondary. So, you know, Gannon and obviously learned some stuff from Matt Eberflus with the Colts. But overall, I agree with that assessment. I think it's going to be different, and I look forward to seeing what it looks like. All right, let's get back to free agency. And while we really don't know a whole lot about the Eagles, do we really know a whole lot about the league? And do we know a lot about the quality of free agents potentially in this class? I mean, will there be big dollars spent? Will there be stars moved? Is it going to be headline-making free agency for the first week or so? 
Oh, yeah. Look, you know the way it is, David. It's different from NBA free agency. The top guys go off the board immediately. Yes, on Wednesday, and remember, the open negotiating period is Monday, and you're allowed to negotiate, so a lot of those deals will largely be agreed to on Wednesday, excuse me, on Monday, sometime Monday afternoon, Monday evening, and they'll be official, uh, more or less, on Wednesday. And then Thursday, you'll see the next group go, and that's then you get the mid-level guys over the weekend. That's just the way it is. Nothing's changed. It's the same thing every year. Now, the thing that surprised me, looking at the cap number, so many more teams, and this is not typically the case, even with the cap at only 182.5, there's still a lot of teams that that are going to be anywhere from 40 to 70 million under the cap. It's really hard to understand, but it is true. I, I keep track of that stuff. Now, there are probably five to seven teams that are still tight, and the Eagles are one of them, and they've got a lot of work to do. I guess the question is, are there going to be stars in free agency? Are there going to be yep, stars on the sure, team? Yeah, oh, oh, in terms of being cut, we haven't seen a lot of that. Now, we've seen a little bit. Now, what's happened is, with this, and the Eagles are part of this, instead of cutting a bunch of players, teams are, are restructuring deals and because they, they just don't want to walk away. And this is the thing I learned many years ago uh, from talking to general managers. You do not cut players that you think could still help you. You, you rarely do that, and that's what we're seeing so far uh, this week. Teams largely are not cutting players that, still, that, that, that they know that could help them. Save, though, for the Saints. The Saints have such a bad cap situation, they just don't have any choice. They have to walk away from some good players. Okay, Adam, let's talk about the cap really quickly with the Eagles. We know they're against the cap in 2021. As you project down the line and as you restructure deals, doesn't that make it more difficult to get out of this cap situation in 2022, 2023? Well, only if you – see, Dave, first of all, we believe the cap's going to go up fairly significantly. Whether it's $10 million, $20 million, whatever the number is, the cap's going to go up. And that, when you restructure deals, Eagles aren't just the only team thinking this way. You, you, you have to believe that the cap's going to go up. We've got the TV deals coming, okay? Uh, g- gambling is going to be a bigger part of it in terms of sponsorship. That money could be absolutely huge, Dave, as you know. It's just, uh, it's, you know, the, some NFL teams invested, invested in draft kicks, so we know it's a big deal. Um, so that's coming over the next couple of years. So the, the cap should go up for, you know, pretty well. And you, that's, you know, your, your hope is that if you're going to restructure deals and you've got larger cap numbers, because when, when you structure future cap numbers go higher, you better become, you, your cap better be larger, and that, that's what they're hoping for. And that probably will happen, by the way. Okay, so, Adam, let, let's, let's project here. Uh, this podcast will be out on Monday. Eagles fans are going to be eagerly looking at your Twitter account and <laughs> trying to look around the league and figure out what's going to, what the Eagles kind of strategy will be here in free agency. What do you expect from the Eagles? I would expect it doesn't have to be day one because it, it, the, 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 rec- the receiver group is really strong uh, for the most part. Now, guys like Kenny Galladay have gotten free, but he's coming off a season where he missed 11 games. I'm not expecting that kind of player to come in. But I do believe the Eagles will wind up bringing a veteran receiver in at some point. Last year, we reported from the combine the Eagles were going to be out of the veteran wide receiver market. Well, Deshaun, because they had Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey coming back. This year, you know, we know that Deshaun's gone and Alshon uh, probably not going to be coming back. So they will uh, probably address that at some point. It, it, it could be a mid-level guy. They definitely need one guy. I, I, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, a veteran leader type wide receiver. Uh, also, a defensive end, I think at some point that, that's something that, that they could look at. And obviously, the big ones at linebacker, where they're really barren at that position, 
Uh, they'll do that corner later. Again, you got to create the cap space to do this. It's as you know, Dave. It's the first time that I could remember, and, and, and I'm sure you'll agree that Eagles actually have a cap problem. They're always they've always been able to figure it out, be well under, or even if they're fairly tight, restructure a couple contracts and they're fine. This is just such a significant challenge for not only the Eagles and so many teams. Some teams just won't be players early on, but. I'll be interested to see what else they can do here, and, and we're not even rolling out any trades here. We, we, we should also mention that there may be one or two trades that come down the pike by Wednesday. And Adam, you know, you mentioned defensive end and linebacker and cornerback. I'll add, say, I mean, the entire defense safety. McLeod <laughs> yeah. coming off the injury. Jalen yeah. Mills is a free agent uh, expected to be on on Wednesday. I mean, I, this defense to me, if I'm going last one for you here, offense or defense to rebuild. Who needs the most rebuild in the off season? I'm saying the defense does. I 100% agree. But the, I remember sitting at John Lynch's office, the general manager for the 49ers, a few years ago. And we were talking about free agency. He said, I want to show you something. And he shows me this laminated piece of paper that he and Kyle Shanahan have. He goes, you cannot so- solve every issue in one offseason. And what you just said is the reason why you can't go crazy in free agency. Plus, obviously, the Eagles have a cap issue. You, ca- you can't do that. You-, you can't be signing eight to ten free agents. It just will work that way. Uh, you, you could sign selected free agents. It, like the Eagles did very well with free agency in 2017. Uh, they signed the right guys w- w- that provided a great presence for the locker room. As you know, Dave, it all worked out. This is a complete transition period. I, I like what Jeffrey Lurie said. That's exactly what it is. And But when you do that, you want to bring in good veterans that set the right example for the locker room because, let's face it, this should be mostly a young team. This is, this is probably going to be, and it should be, one of the younger teams they put together in years. And you know what? That's a good thing. The Eagles, as you know, Dave, have 10 picks of the draft right now as we speak. Who knows? They could have more by draft day. It's, it's time to nail the draft and, and retransition this, this team to it being a younger football team. Adam, 100% agree to me. It's all about the draft. The Eagles have to hit home runs starting April 29th, no doubt. Roster needs young, blue-chip talent that the Eagles can develop, and that starts on April 29th. To me, I mean, free agency – Hey, we'll see what they do. I have, I always go in with very limited expectations and that doesn't change this year. It's all to me this off season about the draft. I agree. Adam, thank you so much. Thank you. Adam, thank you very much. Great stuff as always. And we urge all Eagles fans to subscribe to his podcast. It really is a terrific and informative listen. Now let's do our exclusive as we've been Going through the Meet the Coaches segments here the last couple of weeks, we add Shane Steichen to the mix. He's worked his way up the coaching ladder. Most recently, the quarterback's coach with the Chargers. And he had great success with Phillip Rivers, the veteran, with Justin Herbert, the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2020. First-round draft pick, awesome season. And Shane Steichen has a lot of responsibility there and a lot of credit goes to him for developing Herbert in a time when there was no real offseason no OTAs no preseason the Chargers got Herbert ready to go and Steichen deserves credit for that and he joins me now on the Eagles Insider Podcast hey Shane welcome to the podcast nice to see you nice to meet you virtually of course how's it going being with the Philadelphia Eagles uh it's been great um been in the office uh, when we got in there, I don't know, I want to say a month ago. Uh, got to know a lot of the staff, a lot of the people around the building, um, all great people. Uh, been exciting so far. Uh, can't wait for the season to get started. 
So how did you get into the game of football? Yeah, in general. Yeah, I just uh, I, I started uh, back in elementary school. I started playing flag football. Uh, my older brother, my oldest brother played soccer. Uh, and then his senior year in high school, he started playing football. And then my second oldest brother, he was more of the football guy. Uh, and to see his teams grow in high school from his freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, they had a run uh, there in high school where they were really good. Uh, they had a really good uh, football coach as well. Uh, and they kind of took off and won some championships. And they had about six guys that went on to play college football from his senior class. I think four of them were Division One guys. Um, and as a young brother, watching that experience, it's like, hey, let's let's try to recreate that and be a part of something special. So really took a keen interest in football there going into high school um, and then played through high school. We had some success as well uh, and then went on to play college football, uh, play quarterback at UNLV. What was your game like, Shane? Not great. Um, that's why I'm coaching. Uh, but we were good. Again, we had we had some good some good times. Uh, high school, we were good. College, uh, we were up and down uh, in college. But uh, like I said, that's why I'm coaching. Is quarterback? Did you find it? I mean, it's the most challenging position in all of sports. People say. Do you, having played it, obviously coaching as well? Do you believe that as well? Yeah, I do. Uh, there's so much stuff that goes into playing that position. So much stuff you got to be aware of and understand. Obviously, you have what you have to control and worry about as the quarterback, but also you got to worry about the other 10 guys and then the other 10 guys on offense, making sure they're lined up in the right spot so the play can be successful. And then on defense, you got to dissect the defense and understand what they're doing uh, so you can throw the football to the right guy. Shane, I found it interesting looking at your bio that you studied journalism and media studies in college. Did you want to be a big media star? Uh, it was it was on the back burner. Uh, I wanted to coach football, but I thought if coaching didn't work out for some reason, uh, possibly get into the broadcast uh, booth at some point. Um, but it worked out. I'm coaching football, so it's been good. Now, we all forget everything we did in college, of course, but do you remember any of the most – was there a most interesting class that you had in college? Yeah, I, I, I can't say I can't remember uh, a lot of the classes I took in college. Again, just uh, we were focused on football <laughs> at the time <laughs> uh, more than anything, uh, just trying to win games and do that. Yeah, at least you're at least you're honest about it. I appreciate yeah. that very much. Yeah. Uh, so you played football and then you go into uh, coaching at Louisville. Uh, then you go into the NFL on the defensive side of the ball with the Chargers. And I wonder, as you stand here as the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, how did looking back, working on the defense, help you develop your offensive strategies? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, you know, it was an invaluable experience for me. Um, I remember getting the call uh, to come work on the defensive side of the ball uh, in the NFL, and I jumped at it the second I heard the opportunity. Um, the, the things, the way defensive coaches looked at uh, offensive football um, and how they dissected from a you know, how they wanted to, uh, you know, cover guys defensively um, and what offenses did and looking at their tendencies and how they broke an offense down uh, was very intriguing to me. Uh, and then how they wanted to match up certain routes and how they wanted to, you know, with their run fits uh, from a linebacker standpoint and the fronts they wanted to set up. Uh, just to be a part of that for two years, like I said, was invaluable because now when I flip back on the offensive side of the ball, uh, in 2013, I had a great understanding of what defenses uh, were trying to do defensively to take away certain things and the coverage techniques they played uh, and how they wanted to match routes up. 
And so from that standpoint, to hear that and then go back on the offensive side of the ball, you had a great understanding of how to attack those coverage techniques uh, and those coverages that they are playing behind it. And again, same with the run the run game. How, how do we want to beat them running the football? Well, here's the fronts they play. You know, how, how do they play shifts? How do they play motions? How do they line up all these different things uh, and try to get our guys in the best position to make plays offensively? I always love to ask this question of coaches because you've your career is made based on the success of the players that you coach, and there's always great ones along the way. So with Cleveland, with the Chargers, quarterbacks, wide receivers, are there players that you can tell me about who really made an impression on you because of the way that they approach the game? Maybe that's more important than the talent that they had. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, the first guy that comes to mind is uh, Phil Brewers. Uh, to be around a guy like that, uh, he was such a special player, uh, a great person. But the way he saw the game and went about it week in and week out, uh, it was awesome to see as a football coach. I mean, the guy was just, he was obsessed with the sport. He was obsessed with football. Uh, so you knew each week being around him and going into a game on Sunday, like he was going to be prepared to the utmost. I mean, that's that's who he was. Um, and, and as a coach, I truly believe that, you know, separations in the preparation, how you prepare as a coach and a player you know, ultimately determines the outcome on Sundays. Uh, just because, like Coach Sirianni always talks about, the parity in the NFL, everyone's good, right? And so how, how, what's going to separate uh, us from the other team on Sundays? Uh, and I think it's the preparation part of it. And to see him prepare the way he did uh, week in and week out and the little nuances he talked about during the week when he was watching film. Because whether you're a young coach or an old coach, when you got a player like that that's seen a lot uh, and done it at a high level, Obviously, you're going to listen to what he has to say uh, going into a game plan. So that part for me, uh, again, was an invaluable experience being around a guy uh, like that. When I watch Philip Rivers play football, he's always so emotional on the field, so intense. Was he also like that kind of on a day-to-day -day basis with that intensity, with that passion? Yeah, there, no doubt about it. Uh, he, when it was ball, it was turned on all the time. But I always I always said this is just my little thing. When, on, when Sundays kicked on and he came out of that tunnel and we just started warming up, he just had a different look in his eye when it was game day. Uh, you knew that he was ready to go. Uh, didn't say much to him before games. Um, just kind of gave him a little fist pound, like, let's go. There's nothing to talk about. Uh, he was ready to play. Uh, and it, like I said, it was great to be around him. So you're with this veteran who's been around the league for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, last season with the Chargers, you're working with a first-round draft pick, Justin Herbert. And so I, I wonder, working with that veteran who's so steeped in knowledge, working with a kid who's just entering the NFL. Uh, what was that approach like working with players at opposite ends of the experience spectrum? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, obviously being around a guy like Phillip who has the experience and then you get a, a rookie in Justin. I think the biggest thing with Justin is when we got him, obviously we wanted to know where he was at uh, football wise uh, and just see where he's at uh, from an understanding standpoint. And he was a very sharp guy uh, coming out of Oregon um, very smart, uh, understood what we were teaching him. Um, and then we had our system that we wanted to run, obviously. But at the same time, it was what does he do well? Uh, and how do we streamline that to him? Because obviously the offseason last year was unique to everyone. And we didn't get those, you know, OTA reps. And it was right into training camp. So a lot of it was virtual. Um, but he was awesome through the virtual meetings, asked great questions. Um, and then when we got him into training camp, um, obviously we really saw a skill set in person and we knew he was a tremendous talent. Um, and then it was, what does he do well 
uh, that's going to make us successful going forward on the football field. And I think anytime uh, you're building an offense, uh, it starts with the quarterback position. And, and what does the quarterback do well that's going to make you as an offense succeed and then put your guys around the quarterback in positions to make plays? Um, so I think that was a big part of it. And again, I mean, he was a talented player, um, but to try to put him in the best position to make plays week in and week out uh, and streamline that um, offense towards his skill set was good. Shane, how did the virtual experience in this last year, how has that made you a better coach? Um, yeah, it's been a great experience. I mean, I think anytime, uh, you know, you have to, you know, adapt to new circumstances and how you adapt, uh, it's just a great way of saying like, Hey, I don't know what it's going to look like, but here's what we got to do. And let's try to be the best at it in this new world that we're living in. And so I think, uh, we took it upon ourselves as coaches and players to get the most out of this new experience. So when we came to Sundays, uh, we were ready to go. With Justin, did you kind of develop nuances in the offense on the fly based on – because you, I would imagine you're kind of learning new things about Justin as you go along since you didn't have the OTAs and since you didn't have preseason games. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think with any with any player, uh, especially a, a young guy, um, I think what, like what, what did he do well in college? You know, there are certain things he did well in college. Well, how do we carry that to the NFL game? That he was really good at. Um, so I think that was part of the process, uh, looking at what he did well in college, trying to carry over some of those things. And then, like I said, building the system that we had in place uh, and then the things he threw really well. And there wasn't a throw really that he couldn't make. Um, so we are very fortunate to have his skill set back there. Shane, um, general question about offense in the NFL. What works in this um, league now as, as, as defenses have changed so much through the years? Yeah, I think I think, again, it starts with the quarterback. I really do. Um, I think what your quarterback does well ultimately determines the kind of the system you're going to run offensively, um, because you might have one quarterback on your roster that has a different skill set than the other one uh, if it matches up like that. So you have to be able to adapt as a coach to what that quarterback does well. I mean, some guys might be true pocket passers, right? And the other guys might be more mobile. So now you got to move the pocket a little more. But I think if you can be multiple and what you do, uh, but keep it simple and get really good at those things, uh, I think that's when an offense can really take off. You've coached with Nick uh, through the years with the Chargers. I wonder how the relationship started and then how it's kind of developed through the years. And, and you know, what is it like to just sit there and talk football all day long? Yeah, no, pretty much. That's that's our relationship. We uh, Obviously, we are friends. But when I met Nick, I came back to the Chargers in 2014. Um and just being around him those first couple weeks, I just knew the guy loved ball. I mean, he was obsessed with football. That's all he talked about. That's all he did. Um, and so his passion for the game, it was infectious. So being around guys that love ball, um, obviously you grad, you know, gravitate towards those type of guys. And that's kind of how our relationship started. Um, but to see him grow as a coach and I had no doubt at some point he was going to be a head coach because of his work ethic and what he put into the game. Um, so it's no surprise that he's got this opportunity. Uh, super excited for him to be back again working with him uh, in his new role. Did you guys ever talk about, hey, if one of us becomes a head coach, the other guy's going to be one of my coordinators? Um, yeah, I mean, that always, you know, you always talk about that stuff. Uh, and obviously in this league, you never know if things happen, but 
uh, it did happen and it worked out. Uh, the timing of it worked out where I was able to come. Um, so very fortunate for the opportunity uh, to work with him. I was, I was talking to Jonathan last week about it. And he said that he, his story is don't ever be competitive with Nick Sirianni, whether you're playing cards, whether you're watching TV, because he will turn it into a very intense competition. Is that, have you experienced that? That is very that is a very true statement. Uh, he is very competitive, uh, competitive in everything he does, uh, which is great. Uh, and he talks about that's what that's one of our core values that we want to instill in our players uh, is competition. So anyway, any way he compete, uh, he's going to try to do it, which is awesome. Shane, uh, what do you know about the city of Philadelphia and Eagles fans from your years in the league? Well, this is actually interesting. My this will be my first. The first time I came out to Philly was when I got the job uh, in 2013. Uh, the the Chargers, the AFC West was playing the East, and uh, I was actually in Cleveland, so I didn't get a chance to come to Philly. And then in 2017, when the Chargers played Philly, Philly came to the Chargers. So the two places this will be my 11th year going to the league. The two places I haven't been to is Washington and Philly, and now I'm a coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, but I've heard nothing but great things about the city, the fans. I mean, the passion they have uh, and how much they love their Philadelphia Eagles. I'm excited uh, to be a part of a fan base uh, in a city uh, like Philly. Awesome. Okay, a couple quick questions to wrap it up here. Uh, what is your go-to snack? It's oh, a good question. Probably uh, I'm a candy guy. Maybe Sour Patch Kids or Swedish Fish. Okay. Uh, are you a morning person or a night person? I'm a night person. Which means you still get in the office at 5:30, and you just you just drink a lot of coffee. Correct. I, I'm probably about three or four cups a day of coffee uh, during the season. Probably need to cut back on that, but that's what it's at right now. <laughs> All right, and then Shane, what is your talent that nobody knows about? I don't know. I don't. I really. I, I don't know. Don't have one for you to be honest. Ambidextrous, great golfer. No, not a great golfer. I try. I try that ball spray left and right every time, but if I can hit it straight, that's pretty good. <laughs> and then finally, what, what what do you guys do now? I mean, the fans know that, you know, you came into Philly a month ago. They know the free agency starts in a couple of weeks, a week, I guess here. And then, and then they know that there's a draft like on a day-to-day -day basis. Are you watching film all day? Just trying to yeah. orient yourself with the Philadelphia Eagles roster? Yeah, I know that's a great question. That's part of the process. Um, in the mornings, you know, we'll watch tape on draft guys right now. Free agent guys are coming up, uh, and then we got the draft guys coming up. So we'll spend half the day uh, working on those guys, and then the other half of the day is we get together as an offensive staff uh, and spend the second half of the day uh, going over football stuff, our offense, uh, offensive philosophies, what we're running on offense, uh, terminology things, going through the nuances, the fundamentals of how we want certain things coached. Uh, at each position uh, and really detailing it out. So when we get the players uh, this offseason uh, that we're ready to go as coaches and we're putting these guys in the best position to make plays. Love it. Hey, Shane, thank you so much for joining the podcast. All right. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Okay, that will do it for this episode of Eagles Insider Podcast. Trevor Hayes, great job. Peter Kelly, thank you. Ray Doyle, as always, thank you for your work. All of you, thanks for joining. If you have a moment to give us a rating, we would appreciate it. We're getting more and more access because of the ratings that you give us. So we've included a link in the details section of the podcast in your library. So please take a moment. And if you give us a five-star review, it really helps the cause. I'm Insider Dave Spadaro. Thanks for joining me on this Eagles Insider Podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Everyone have yourselves a great Eagles day. And as always, fly, Eagles, fly. Finally, 
free agency is here. We'll find out what the Eagles plan to do to build this roster back into championship form. Thanks, everyone. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.